week. And I uh, hope everybody's doing all right. Welcome to the African History Network show. It is Sunday, July 11th, 2021, and we are live. Call in numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Now, uh, Thursday, uh, which was uh, July 8th, uh, Thursday night, uh, we saw that uh, Zaelia Avant-Garde, um, became the first African-American to win the uh, Scripps National Spelling Bee. And this is a brilliant, brilliant uh, 14-year-old sister. And uh, she already holds three Guinness Book of World Re- three Guinness Book uh, World Records for juggling multiple basketballs at a time. But this is a brilliant sister. She is brilliant when it comes to mathematics also. I, I talked about a Thursday. And we also talked about her on uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, on Friday, uh, July 9th, Friday, July 9th. And we talked about uh, Zaila. We also talked about the uh, meeting that civil rights leaders had with the uh, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. We discussed that as well. I'm going to try to share an excerpt of that discussion with you. But something, if we look at the uh, assassination of the Haitian president, Jovenel Moise, and if we look at Zaila Avant-Garde, these two stories are connected. These two stories are connected. Now, Zaila was the first African-American champion of the Scripps National Spelling Bee. She's 14 years old, but she was inspired by another sister who was 13 years old named Magnolia Cox, Magnolia Cox. And Magnolia Cox in uh, 1936 came in fifth place in a National Spelling Bee. And she had to deal with segregation as well. Washington Post has a a very interesting article, Spelling Bee Champ Zaila, uh, uh, Zaila Avant Garde was inspired by a black girl named Magnolia Cox. Okay. But even before Magnolia Cox, did you know that the first national spelling bee held in this country was won by an African-American girl who was 14 years old? Her name was Marie C. Bolden. So we're going to talk some about Marie C. Bolden as well. But the story of Zaila Avant-Garde and Haiti and the Haitian president being assassinated and the history behind Haiti, all this is related. Why is this related? Well, Zaila Zaila Avant-Garde is from Louisiana. Louisiana, the Louisiana territory became part of U.S. territory in 1803. It was known as the Louisiana Purchase that was signed by President Thomas Jefferson. And the U.S. got 828,000 square miles of land for less than three cents an acre. They got all this land for uh, uh, all the land west of the Mississippi, all the way to the Rocky Mountains. They got that for $15 million. And they bought it from the French. Why did Napoleon Bonaparte and the French sell all of this land so cheaply? 
because they were getting the hell beat out of them by the Haitians during the Haitian Revolution. Because the Haitian Revolution was taking place at this time from 1791 to 1804. So we see a connection between the history of Haiti and what's taking place in Haiti right now. Zaelia Avant-Garde winning the Scripps National Spelling Bee, and she's from Louisiana. And Louisiana become, becomes part of the Union because of the history of Haiti and the Haitian Revolution. So we're going to connect all the dots, connect all this together on today's show. And uh, let me see. Okay. I want to make sure that was all that I had planned because this is a jam-packed show. I was going to talk about some other things, but we have to deal with that on Monday show. Now, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. The sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. The sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, you can also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and sign up for our email newsletter there as well. Okay. All right. Uh, I want to bring uh, uh, back on the line from the Pan-African Newswire. I want to bring back on uh, Abiyomi Azikwe, uh, who's the editor of the Pan-African Newswire, to give us an update on uh, what's going on in uh, Haiti. How are you doing today, uh, Abiyomi? Oh, I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm um, all right, brother. It's just been a very, very busy day, brother. <laughs> it's been a very busy day, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, man, thanks for thanks for coming back on and uh, uh, sharing this information with us, giving us an update on what's going on in Haiti. So I, I've been following the updates from uh, the Miami Herald as well as the um, the Miami Herald, as well as uh, the New York Times. And if we look here. Uh, at, at uh, some of the updates, uh, we see that, um, well, number one, we see that they, they were calling for the U.S. Uh, uh, to help. And uh, and it, it appears that the U.S. is just going to send investigators in from, from the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security to help, um, as opposed to actually sending in troops. And then we see that uh, there's a report that uh, President uh, Jovenel Mo Moise's wife uh, has uh, spoken out, but this, but it's not clear, has been authenticated, at least at the time of this broadcast, whether it was her or not. Uh, we also see that um, Haitian officials investigating the Moise uh, assassination say they have arrested a Florida doctor uh, as well, who somehow has a connection uh, to the assassination. So give us an update on what's going on. Thanks again for having me on. No problem. Uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, before about the uh, call for U.S. military intervention, and uh, that has been done by Claude Joseph, yes. uh, who is 
the interim prime minister, uh, which is controversial because a lot of people in Haiti, as well as uh, the Haitian diaspora, uh, does not uh, agree with him uh, in regard to him uh, claiming authority within the country. Now, it's interesting that uh, the United States appears to be recognizing him uh, as the uh, legitimate authority in Haiti. And, of course, uh, we had the assassination of the president uh, just uh, five, four days ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks more and more uh, like a coup d'etat, uh, perhaps uh, with the acquiescence of the United States and other international powers against uh, the Jovenel uh, Moïse uh, presidency. And the reason uh, why I believe this was the situation uh, is because uh, Moïse uh, was scheduled uh, to leave office. Well, based on his own schedule, uh, he wanted to have elections uh, in uh, September. Nonetheless, according to the uh, political system in Haiti, uh, he was ruling by decree. He should have been out of office uh, about five or six months uh, earlier. But he uh, continued to extend uh, his tenure in office. Now, uh, he had been backed uh, heavily by the United States. Right. Uh, but at the same time, uh, with all the instability that's been going on in Haiti for the last several months, it's important uh, that we look back uh, at least until the beginning of this year. Uh, where there's been an escalation of uh, violence uh, in the country. Uh, there's been growing discontent uh, with uh, President Maurice and his administration. Uh, there's been uh, gang violence inside the country. And, uh, of course, the uh, G9 uh, group uh, was headed by uh, a man that they call uh, Jimmy Barbecue. <laughs> He's a former uh, police officer in Haiti. Uh, sensibly turned uh, gang leader. Okay. Uh, it's very interesting that um, he's declaring himself a revolutionary, but at the same time, uh, it appears as if uh, he was supporting the uh, Moise government. And uh, even uh, as of yesterday, I saw a uh, news clip of him where he was saying that, uh, you know, he, although he didn't support Jovenel uh, uh, Moise, uh, that uh, these foreigners who came into the country and assassinated him had no right uh, to do so. The Colombians, uh, according to news reports, uh, many of them were former military personnel in the Colombian army, uh, which right. we talked about Thursday, and has been uh, a conduit uh, for United States imperialist interests in Latin America. Uh, they receive uh, enormous amounts of resources from the United States, monetary resources, U.S. supplies, weapons, and other uh, tactical and diplomatic support uh, to the Colombian government. They've been doing it for years because they want to uh, stave off a uh, revolutionary uh, guerrilla movement, um, which uh, has been fighting for many years in Colombia. Uh, they want to prevent them from, from taking power. So it appears uh, that uh, this was a, uh, an attempted coup. Uh, the coup, of course, uh, would benefit in terms of personalities, uh, Claude Joseph, and although there's another uh, prime minister, uh, Henry Ariel, who was uh, slated uh, to be inaugurated, I believe, the day uh, after the president right. was assassinated. And then, of course, there's uh, Lambert, uh, Charles Lambert, who is the uh, senator uh, in Haiti. And uh, although there are 30 members of the Senate, 
only uh, 10 are functioning at this point. Now, I don't know the exact reasoning as to why that is, mm-hmm. uh, but out of the 10, uh, ostensibly eight approved him to be appointed as the interim president. So you, in essence, you have three different uh, persons uh, who are vying uh, for uh, political dominance. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, let's do this, Abiyomi. Just, just, just one second. Just one second. We're coming up here on a break. Hey, 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 hey Jalen, I just sent you a clip. Just one second. I, I just sent you a clip from Al Jazeera. Let's let's play about thirty seconds or a minute of that clip, uh, uh, Jalen. Uh, as we uh, and then we'll go to break. Uh, this is from um, Al Jazeera, and uh, this gives an update also on uh, what's going on. A sign of how scared people in Haiti are. A false rumor spread on social media that the U.S. was giving out visas. A massive crowd showed up at the embassy only to be disappointed. Faced with this reality, the Haitian people are left to themselves. They cannot go out. They want to go to safe places. When people heard the rumors saying that the U.S. embassy is giving exile to the people, they came. Haitian officials have asked the U.S. for more than that, a contingent of U.S. troops to help secure the country. We're not asking for the occupation of the country. We're asking for small troops to assist and help us. U.S. media reports the troops will not be deployed. Instead, they will send law enforcement to help with the investigation into the assassination of Jovenel Moise. His widow, also injured in the shooting, sent this message on social media. You knew who the president was fighting against. These people hired mercenaries to kill the president and his family due to the projects for roads, electricity, drinking water supply, organization of the referendum and elections for the final abolition of political transitions. The president has always believed in institutions and stability. Okay, yeah, Paul's are right there. Uh, we're coming up on a break here. That is from uh, uh, July 11th, 2021 from Al Jazeera. Uh, we're speaking with Abiyomi Ezekwe, editor of the Pan-African Newswire. He's giving us an update on what's going on in Haiti. We'll continue this discussion on the other, other side of the break. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black. All positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30-plus channels. Thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle her hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword. And how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustler Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustler Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. 
While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, July 11th, 2021, and we are live. Call-in number is 313-778-7600. If you have a question or comment, 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Now, right before the break, we were speaking with Abiyomi Ezekwe. He's the editor of the Pan-African Newswire. Now, the Pan-African Newswire is a um, is a digital uh, newswire created in uh, 1996. And Abiyomi has spoken in all different platforms uh, in the media, uh, everything from Al Jazeera to, I think, CNN. You've been on CNN also, right, Abiyomi? No, uh, no, I've never been on CNN. Okay, I know Al Jazeera. Uh, kind of funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, Al Jazeera, yeah, definitely. But uh, CNN, you know, they they have certain people they have on and others they uh, do not have on. Okay. Well, Abby only is the editor of the Pan-African Newswire. It is an electronic press agency that was founded in 1998. Say, founded in 1998. He, uh, he has worked for decades in solidarity with the liberation movements and progressive governments on the African continent and the Caribbean. Uh, Abiyomi is a graduate of Wayne State University. That's where we met when I was an undergrad at Wayne State back in the early 90s uh, in Detroit, Michigan, uh, where he earned an undergraduate and graduate degrees in political science, public administration and educational and administrative uh, studies. OK, now, uh, Abiyomi, right, right before the break, we're going to go back to that clip from Al Jazeera. Um, uh, Jalen, just a second here. Uh, right before the break, I was sharing a update in uh uh from al jazeera and uh, abby are you on a speakerphone no 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 okay all right because my board op was saying yeah he's he was saying that he's getting a lot of uh echo some uh echo yeah i hear echo on my end yeah echo on your end uh let me see something let me see something uh i'm not sure why there's an echo all right, do uh, do me a favor. Do me a favor. Just hang up and call back into the line. Uh, it may be a bad connection or something. Okay, just just hang up and just call right back into the okay. line. And Jay, All let right. me get the line. Okay. All right, thanks. No problem. All right, thanks. Okay, uh, we're going to reestablish connection with Abiyomi Ezekwe. Um, I want to uh, look at the updates uh, very quickly here from the New York Times, um, and then also we're going to go back to this clip from Al Jazeera. We're also going to look at this, uh, listen to this clip from ABC World News tonight. They have an update as well, dealing with food shortages and, and uh, fuel shortages uh, in Haiti. So uh, Haitian authorities arrest Florida-based doctor in uh, President Moe's murder. Uh, the national police chief indicated that he believes the doctor, Christian Emmanuel Sanon, was plotting to become president. Okay, Uh, Haitian officials investigating the Moise murder say they arrested a Florida doctor who was central in the plot. And we're going to blow this up here. Hopefully everybody can see this here. Uh, Who is central in the plot? A Haitian born doctor based in Florida 
has been arrested as a central suspect in the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise. And the national police chief suggested at a Sunday news conference, Sunday, July 11th, that he believes the suspect was plotting to become president. The doctor who uh, who they are reporting, his name is Christian Emmanuel Sanon. He's 63 years old, is now the third Haitian born sus suspect with U.S. ties to be arrested. Other suspects include 18 Colombian men, most of them former soldiers. We know the Colombian government uh, has admitted that these were soldiers uh, back on um uh, July 9th, back on July 9th, I'm looking, I printed up all these updates. Uh, back on July, July 9th, Colombia said, uh, 13 of its ex-soldiers are among suspects in the, uh, assassination. And, uh, we know that was the, um, who was that? I think that was the, uh, I forgot which official that was. I'll find that here. But anyway, um, the Haitian national police chief, Leon Charles, painted Mr. Sanan, Dr. Sanan, as a key figure behind the president's assassination. Quote, he arrived by private plane in June of 2021 with political objectives and contacted a private security firm to recruit the people who committed this act, end quote, the police chief said, uh, police chief Leon Charles. The firm, he said, was a Venezuelan a uh, security company based in the United States called CTU, CTU. Uh, I want to go back to this clip here from Al Jazeera, then we'll go back to Abiyomi Ezekwe. Let's go back to this clip uh, from Al Jazeera, uh, Jalen. It's not clear who paid for the mercenaries who allegedly carried out the attack, many of them former members of the Colombian military. But while that investigation continues, so does the political uncertainty. The interim Prime Minister Claude Joseph says he's in charge, but he was had to be replaced before the killing by Ariel Henry, who now, along with politician Joseph Lambert, says they will take over. Lambert tweeted that his Saturday inauguration was postponed. There is a behind-the-scenes push in the country and in Washington to figure out the way forward. But so far, there is no clear solution for a poverty-ravaged country battered by gang violence, the coronavirus, and now political insiders. Patty Colhane, Al Jazeera, Washington. Okay, pause right there. All right, so Abiyomi, uh, tell us what, what's what's going on here, and and what do you know about the uh, the Florida-based doctor who's been arrested? Uh. All I've heard is uh, just what you just played. Uh, okay. Christian uh, Emmanuel Sanon, 63 years old. Uh, they're claiming uh, that he arranged uh, to have these uh, mercenaries uh, come into Haiti, and uh, along with uh, two uh, Haitian Americans. Uh, the Haitian Americans, according to press reports, are claiming that they were hired as translators right. uh, for the Colombians uh, because uh, they speak Spanish. Uh, but uh, we'll have to see what evidence they have. And what ties uh, Christian uh, Emmanuel Sanon has uh, with um, elements in Haiti as well as uh, the United States, uh, because uh, there's a lot of corruption, obviously, uh, that has been going on in Haiti for a number of years. Right. Uh, a lot of the politicians uh, have been using their state positions uh, to loot uh, the national treasury. Uh, we could talk about the uh, Petro Carib uh, oil project. Uh, that was uh, being posted by Venezuela. 
uh, where uh, they were able to supply uh, oil to Haiti, and a lot of the uh, money uh, disappeared uh, from uh, the uh, the, uh, the uh, institution, um, you know, over the last several years, and that caused a lot of uh, unrest in Haiti since uh, 2018. Uh, right after uh, the official uh, recognition of uh, Juvenile Maurice, uh, there was unrest in the country, uh, like massive rebellions, general strikes uh, over corruption uh, within the government, and uh, the fact that there's very few opportunities for employment or business opportunities in the country, and uh, the country is uh, heavily dominated uh, by U.S. Uh, finance capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It's a very, very bad situation for the ordinary people uh, who live uh, in Haiti. And uh, in terms of the uh, gang situation inside the country, uh, some of the Haitians that I've heard speak uh, since uh, uh, Wednesday when the assassination uh, took place uh, are saying these are actually death squads. Uh, They wouldn't describe them as gangs. uh, That uh, This guy, Jimmy um, Barbecue, uh, who heads this uh, G9 uh, Federation of uh, Street Gangs, uh, in fact, uh, is a uh, warlord, in their opinion. Okay. And as I mentioned earlier, he was connected uh, with the uh, former government of uh, President Moise. Nonetheless, um, you know, these issues uh, have to be further investigated. And the uh, U.S. government, uh, and we talked about this Thursday, has a very sordid history right. of uh, interventions in Haiti, and they have not benefited the Haitian people at all. So to have the president assassinated, and then uh, the person who is designated, uh, that is uh, uh, Claude Joseph, uh, as uh, interim prime minister, he was the prime minister, but his uh, term was supposed to expire, uh, you know, right uh, before the president, uh, right after the president was assassinated. Uh, And he's being recognized uh, by the U.S. uh, and other uh, key players in Haiti as the official authority inside the country. And he, one of his first moves was to invite the U.S. military to come in into Haiti. I mean, this is pretty outrageous if you think about it. So if you look at the chronology of events, you know, the unrest, the uh, proliferation of uh, violence inside the country, and, of course, the uh, contention over uh, the president ruling by decree, his assassination, right, and then the... Um, uh, claim to power, you know, by Claude Joseph, you know, clearly, uh, you know, a coup d'etat. Uh, and uh, knowing the history of the United States involvement there, in all likelihood, this is being managed uh, by the U.S. So the FBI is probably, and Homeland Security, are probably well aware of what happened uh, to uh, the president and uh, some of the other dynamics that are going on inside the country. Okay, so if we go to uh, uh, talking about that and talking about the U.S. Uh, intervention, et cetera, and the, and the cry for the U.S. to come in and they wanted, Claude Joseph wanted uh, U.S. troops to come in to help stabilize the country. Um, uh, we know that a uh, state of siege has been declared, which is the equivalent basically to uh, um, um, uh, martial law. OK, that was declared a couple of days ago. Yeah. But uh, if we look at the uh, the update here also um, from New York Times and other outlets are picking this up, uh, Miami Herald reported on this as well. U.S. investigators will begin assisting Haiti in the hunt for president's assassins. Uh, a team of American government I- investigators is ready to begin 
assisting the investigation into the assassination of Haiti's president, a senior Pentagon official said Sunday, July 11th, while the White House and Pentagon are reviewing the Haitian government's request for troops to help secure the country, because this request went out uh, a couple of days ago. Um, there has been little enthusiasm for sending American soldiers or Marines to the country, to Haiti. But a team of FBI agents and Department of Homeland Security officials will assist the investigation into last Wednesday's killing of President Jovenel Moise of Haiti. John Kirby, the Pentagon press secretary, told Fox News. Uh, Kirby uh, said on Sunday, July 11th on Fox News, quote, I think. Uh, that's really where our energies are best applied right now, helping them get their arms around investigating uh, this incident and figuring out who's culpable, who's responsible and how best to hold them accountable going forward. End quote. Now, uh, Abiyomi, we know that uh, the U.S. Uh, occupied uh, Haiti from 1915 to 1934. And uh, we, we talked about the involvement that was dealing with uh, John Bertrand Aristide and things like this in the past uh, from a president of Haiti. What do you think, what role, if any, at this point, all things considered, what role do you think the U.S. should uh, play right now regarding Haiti? I don't think they should uh, intervene mm-hmm. militarily. Uh, we've seen a disastrous uh, history. Now, of, uh, US right now, when, 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 Abiyomi, when you say, Abiyomi, when you say intervene, intervene militarily, what, what do you mean? Intervene how military? What do you right. mean? He's sending troops. Okay. Haiti, okay. Done in, on many occasions. Yes. Yeah. They, you know, you mentioned, uh, 1915 to 1934, where there was right. an occupation. Right. They instituted segregation in Haiti and, uh, they were lynching people there. Uh, there was a uh, guerrilla movement that came about called the uh, Caicos, uh, the fight against uh, the U.S. Uh, military occupation. And you can look at uh, what happened uh, in 91 and 94. 91, they backed the coup against uh, Aristide. Mm-hmm. And then when the country deteriorated, they launched an invasion to reimpose them in power. Then 10 years later, uh, they uh, invaded again France, the United States, and Canada. Uh, to overthrow uh, Aristide again and uh, exiled him to the Central African Republic. And he was not able to leave uh, until the uh, South African government, uh, Thabo Mbeki, who was president at the time, uh, offered him political asylum. And he was allowed to go to South Africa. And later he did return to Haiti. Interestingly enough, he uh, is in Cuba now receiving medical treatment, uh, apparently for COVID-19. Uh, this happened just uh, a few days before uh, the assassination of uh, Juvenal Moise. Uh, so it probably was good that he was out of the country uh, because um, his party, the uh, Famille Lavalas, is essentially banned in the country. A lot of their activists have been killed, imprisoned, and driven into exile. So uh, this could have been an opportunity uh, to launch further attacks on him uh, during this period. Okay, now, uh, so we see... Uh, right now, at least we see the U.S. is not uh, sending troops. OK, uh, they're going to send a team of FBI agents and Department of Homeland Security officials that will assist the investigation into the assassination of President Jovenel Moise. Now, do you think they should send investigators? Is there a role that the U.S. should play or the U.S. should no. just do nothing? What, what do you think? What do you think should happen? Well, you- 
we know the history of the uh, FBI. Right. Uh, you know, they're anti-black. Uh, you know, they the precursor to the FBI uh, brought down uh, Marcus Garvey Marcus in Garvey. the 1920s. Right. You know what they did against uh, people like W.B. Du Bois, Shirley Graham Du Bois, uh, Althea Hutton, uh, even going uh, to the 50s with Martin Luther King, uh, and of course in the 60s against Smith, the Black Panther Party. Uh, you know, they came up with this notion of black identity extremism, and this was just um, three, years, three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wrote a whole memo on uh, black identity extremism as being a threat uh, to the United States. Uh, so who, who really can trust uh, the FBI uh, to do anything uh, that is uh, relevant uh, to African people? They are heavily militarized, the FBI, in this country. They're part of the Department of Homeland Security. We don't know what other agencies, uh, government agencies within the Department of Homeland Security, are accompanying the FBI uh, to Haiti. Uh, in all likelihood, they're going to go there, do an assessment of the situation, and then make a recommendation uh, to the Biden administration in regard to uh, military intervention. The U.S. has a huge embassy in uh, Port-au-Prince, the capital. Right. And we know... Um, the CIA is embedded in diplomatic personnel all over the world. Right. Uh, you know, they have death, you know, they sit inside embassies. People have uh, official cover. That's what they call it in, uh, in the intelligence community. Although you may be a attache or, or a deputy um, ambassador, or even the ambassador, but in actuality, you're operating for the uh, Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, so, no, I don't trust the FBI. I don't, I don't trust the uh, Department of Homeland Security, the real solution to the problem is among the Haitian people themselves. Um, it's, it's, it, there is no future in relying on the United States in regard to uh, solving their internal problems. Okay, so uh, the so the U.S. should stay out altogether. Should the U.S. send aid, or should they just yeah. stay out or stay out altogether? Now, should um, should any other nations? Regardless of whether they're African nations, what have you, should any other, whether it's Cuba, anything, should any other nations provide aid to Haiti? What, 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 what do you, what do you think should happen? Yeah, I think they should, um, and it should be done on a multilateral okay. uh, basis. Who, who is they? Uh, but there needs to be safeguards. Who is they? Um, any, any country in Latin America. Okay. Any country in Africa. Um, even organizations inside the United States that are already doing charitable work in Haiti okay. need to be empowered uh, to address uh, the current situation. Uh, that, that's what has to happen. But uh, if they send in U.S. troops, the situation will only worsen. Uh, and we've seen there's, there's considerable historical precedent uh, for this. Even in 2010, 11 years ago, when they had a massive earthquake right. in Haiti that killed uh, approximately 200,000 people and displaced uh, at least a million people. The U.S., uh, under, the, uh, under the guise of uh, providing uh, material assistance, sent troops again uh, to Haiti. And uh, a lot of the uh, materials that were brought down, that were donated, uh, were never distributed uh, to the Haitian people, at least not distributed on an equitable basis. Uh, they had uh, uh, airplanes that went and dropped uh, food uh, in villages and in small towns, you know, as if the people were... Uh, Animals, right? Uh, more or less. I mean, it, it was so insulting uh, in regard to what they did. Also, we have to remember 
uh, this Haitian relief fund that was set up where the Clinton Foundation was involved. Mm-hmm. And initially, uh, George Bush Jr. was involved. And they raised a considerable amount of money. Um, they initially said they wanted to raise $500 million. It may have been that or more. Uh, and they said we're going to build houses for people who have been displaced as a result of the earthquake. And uh, in all total, six homes were built right. um, out of all that money. So what happened to the funds? And uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, when she ran for president in 2016, was being questioned about this. And uh, in response, they dissolved the Clinton uh, Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a lot of questions uh, that remain unanswered in terms of uh, what happened uh, to the aid that was supposed to be given to Haiti 11 years ago uh, that did not uh, benefit the people uh, whatsoever. So, no. Um, the CARICOM, which is the Caribbean community, right. uh, should be empowered. Um, you know, I, I don't see any solution uh, in sending uh, U.S. troops uh, into Haiti. Now, they they could, diplomatically, they're saying that they're not interested right now in sending troops in, but right. uh, we, have to, we have to keep watching this, because they may say that. Correct. And then in two weeks, uh, you'll hear that uh, thousands of troops are being sent to Haiti. Uh, as a result of an assessment by the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, uh, the State Department, etc. Right. All right. Very quickly here, I, I want to go to uh, I, I want to go to this uh, article here from Al Jazeera. I talked about it uh, uh, Thursday on the show when, when I had you on. Uh, Haiti's turbulent political history: a timeline. Haiti's turbulent political history: a timeline. And this goes back to 1492 when Columbus and the Spanish conquer the island of Hispaniola. And uh, you're going to have uh, the French who are going to end up taking the western portion of the island of Hispaniola and call it St. Dominique. And then St. Dominique becomes Haiti. And we see a Haitian revolution takes place 1791 to uh, uh, 1804. And the Haitians declare their independence January 1st, 1804. But Spain colonizes. uh, And and now this is the same year. 1492 is the same year that the Moors lose control of the last stronghold in Spain, which was Granada, January 2nd, 1492. All this history is connected. Um, August 3rd, 14, August 2nd, 1492, the Spanish uh, expelled the Sephardim, the Sephardic Jews. August 3rd, 1492, Columbus set sail on his first of four voyages on the Nina, the Penta, and the Santa Maria. And uh, uh, Hispaniola is one of the areas, uh, one of the islands that he conquers uh, in his first of four voyages. But Spain colonizes the island of Hispaniola after arrival of Christopher Columbus. Uh, 200, uh, 200 years later, Spain cedes the western half to France. Plantations worked by slaves of African origin produce sugar, rum, and coffee that enrich France. Uh, they talk about 1801. Former slave Toussaint L'Overture leads a successful revolt and abolishes slavery. Now, the Haitian Revolution begins in 1791. They talk about 1801, but this started. 10 years before then, uh, 1804, Haiti becomes, uh, independent under, uh, uh, former slave Jean Jacques Dessalines, who was assassinated in 1806, 1915, um, the United States invades Haiti withdrawing in 1943, but keeping financial control and political influence. Uh, then, uh, it, it goes on from there. You have, uh, uh, 
Papa Doc uh, Duvalier, uh, uh, Baby Doc Duvalier, etc. Uh, read this piece here from Al Jazeera, Haiti's Turbulent Political History, A Timeline. Uh, very quickly here, I want to go to this uh, two-minute clip here from ABC uh, News, uh, World News Tonight from today, July 11th, giving an update on the turmoil in Haiti. Didn't we get your uh, closing comments, Abiyomi? Uh, let's go to um, let's go to this clip here, um, uh, Jalen. Haiti, the country reeling after the assassination of its president, desperate scenes, shortages of food and fuel, people lining up when they hear about a station with gas, using any kind of container they can find to haul it away. ABC's Marcus Moore is in Port-au-Prince for us again tonight. Tonight, the FBI and Department of Homeland Security are sending agents to Haiti to help investigate the assassination of President Jovenel Moise. Authorities have arrested at least 20 people, including two Americans. According to the acting prime minister, Claude Joseph, 28 foreign mercenaries carried out the attack. 19 of them are from Colombia. My only and ultimate goal is to give justice to President Jovenel Moise. Since Wednesday's attack, the city of Port-au-Prince has wrestled with returning to normal. But normal has long been a struggle here. Desperate scenes like this one have become increasingly common as the country faces economic turmoil. Haiti has been in the midst of a gas shortage, and at least the scenes like this, people lining up for fuel, uh, because the opportunity to get gas is spontaneous. Solace is a father of two. He tells me you have to fight to find gas. Helen John was on her way home from church when she saw the station was selling fuel. So she stopped to fill up her two gas cans, and she says she was hurt by the news of the assassination. This was only something you read about in the history book, but now you all are living this. She says this is something she could have never imagined. Lindsay, we are told the U.S. teams that are on the ground right now assessing the interim government's request have met with the prime minister, and they will brief President Biden once they get back to the U.S. as the investigation into this brazen attack continues. Lindsay. Marcus, thank you. Okay. Pause right there. All right. Um, Abby, go ahead uh, with your uh, final comments. Well, yes, uh, this is a uh, crisis because if you look at Haiti, uh, its significance in African history yes. is paramount. Uh, they were the uh, only country, really, uh, to uh, have a successful slave revolution. Now, mm-hmm. in Brazil, of course, there were the... Uh, uh, marriage mm-hmm. and uh, other independent communities, and you know we had them here too in Florida and uh, the southeast of the United States during the 19th century. Right. But uh, they were a uh, government uh, where they went from enslavement uh, to national independence. You know, for the independent struggles that evolved in the uh, 20th century. So, if you look at the history of the United States uh, involvement in Haiti, it's not been a progressive one at all. Um, they supported uh, in the 1790s uh, the French against the uh, African Rebellion and later Revolution. Exactly. And then over a lot of the, uh, you know, the history of military intervention. Right. The U.S. Uh, was allies of the French uh, uh, during the Haitian Revolution. The U.S. were allies of the French. You had the British, the Spanish, the French. The British, the Spanish, and U.S. were allies of the French against the Haitians, okay, during the Haitian Revolution. Go ahead. Exactly. Yeah, they did not want an African Revolution um, (laughs) in the Caribbean because it would definitely set the stage, you know, for uh, similar actions 
you know, throughout the uh, Western Hemisphere. Right. And then if you look at the period between 1804 and 1862, which we had touched on uh, the other night, uh, there was a blockade against Haiti. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was and not only by the United States, but also by France. Right. Uh, and they would not lift the blockade unless the Haitians paid indemnity. So they wanted the Africans to pay for all these sugar plantations that were destroyed, all the plantations that were burned down uh, from 70, in 1791 and after that period, uh, before uh, they would recognize them and uh, allow them to conduct trade. So it, it's been a continuous effort to strangle uh, Haiti. But it, it's a model for the African world in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even though you have independence, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're economically uh, sovereign or economically uh, independent. Uh, look at the international banking system, the way it's set up. Right. Uh, they can pressure countries uh, and, and cause them to uh, overthrow government, uh, force them into uh, famine and other uh, national uh, disasters and humanitarian uh, crises. So, uh, yeah, these are some of the elements that people need to take into consideration. Every time the U.S. goes in, just look at uh, Libya, for example, the most prosperous country on the African continent 10 years ago. Right. Uh, they owed no money to the IMF and the World Bank. They had a, a sovereign wealth fund of over $170 billion. And uh, the U.S. intervened, and uh, all that money is gone. Uh, same thing in Iraq. Um, you know, they stole like $9 billion out of the Treasury. And they did the same thing in Haiti during the uh, 20th century, between 1915, uh, when they invaded, they took, uh, you know, all the national treasury and had total control over the economics of uh, independent countries. So there's no reason to believe that they won't do anything different uh, in 2021 if they intervene. So it's really up to the Haitian people uh, to uh, resolve their internal uh, contradictions and uh, to move towards the independent course of governance. Uh, in the country. Uh, very quickly here, I, I want to reference this article that we talked about Thursday from Forbes.com. Um, in 1825, Haiti paid France $21 billion to preserve its independence. Okay, time for France to pay it back. And it talks about the reparations that France had to pay, that, that uh, Haiti had to pay France for France's losses and the plantations that were burned and everything like this during the Haitian Revolution, which is which is which is really strange because France because Haiti is the one that needs reparations, not France. But in in eighteen in eighteen twenty five, barely two decades after winning its independence against all odds, Haiti was forced to begin paying enormous enormous reparations, quote unquote reparations, to French slaveholders it had overthrown. Those payments would have been a staggering burden for any fledgling nation, but Haiti was not just any fledgling nation. It was a republic formed and led by by blacks, by Africans who had risen up against the institution of slavery. As such, Haiti's independence, Haiti's independence was viewed uh, as a threat. Haiti's independence was viewed as a threat by all slave owning countries including the United States of America and its very existence rankled racist sensibilities globally. Cause it wasn't until about 1862 that the U S recognized Haiti as an independent nation. Okay. Because they did not want, um, see, and you had, like, like we said Thursday is believed that Nat Turner's mother came from Haiti. Nat Turner's 
uh, mother's slave master fled Haiti in the 1790s and came to the U.S. and brought his slaves. And you're going to have this happening. You're going to have slave owners who flee the uh, flee Haiti and come to the U.S. And uh, we, we're going to see in 1811 in Louisiana, the German coast slave uprising and about 500 slaves. That was that was inspired by the Haitian Revolution. But the U.S. wanted to keep the um, news of the Haitian Revolution away from slaves here. Because they didn't want it to to, to spark uh, uh, slave revolts, okay? Um, uh, thus, Haiti, tiny, impoverished, and all alone in a hostile world, had little choice but to accede to France's reparations uh, demand demands, which was delivered to Port-au-Prince by a fleet of heavily armed warships in 1825. Uh, very quick, we only have a couple minutes here left before the break, uh, Abiyomi, but. Um, go ahead and let people know how they can read the Pan-African Newswire, how they can support you all as well. If you uh, have cash app, PayPal, anything like that as well. Yeah, you can log on to uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. Uh, That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. I also have a Facebook page under my name, Abayomi Ajikwe. Okay. There's also a Pan-African Newswire uh, Facebook page. And there's also a radio program, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Uh, we broadcast uh, twice a week. I'm also on Twitter as well as Instagram, so you can reach me on all those platforms. And uh, just inbox me, uh, you know, to find out how you can help and support uh, the work that we're doing. Okay, no problem. All right, Abiyomi, man, thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll reach out to you soon and bring you Thank back, you. okay? All right, no problem. All right, have a good day. All, all right, right, peace. Bye. All right. Okay, that's Abiyomi Ezekwe, editor of the Pan-African Newswire. Uh, we're coming up here on a break. When we come back, we'll talk about civil rights leaders um, from legacy civil rights organizations met with President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris regarding voting rights and the For the People Act. Uh, they met this past week. And uh, also we'll talk about uh, Zaila Avant-Garde, uh, 14-year-old African-American girl, First African-American girl to win the script spelling bee, but not the first African-American to win a national spelling bee. The African History Network show, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. We'll be back in a few minutes. All right, stand by. Back from breaking one minute. USDF Farmington Hills, Detroit, 910 AM Superstation, a division of Adele Media. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 910 AM Superstation or Adele Media. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the future radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, July 11th, 2021. And we are live. Hope everybody's doing well. 
Um, so we just spoke with Abiyomi Ezekwe, editor of the Pan-African Newswire, to give us an update on what's taking place in uh, Haiti. If you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show, through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show, through Cash through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And up here on the screen, we have uh, our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W, uh, through Cash App in when you go to it, it, it'll show my name, Michael, and then it has my picture there. These other ones are fake African History Network cash app accounts that somebody else set up. I already reported them to cash app. They've been stealing money from us. If you sent money to these fake ones, contact cash app, let them know, ask them to uh, send your money back. All right. Uh, also, the we have a new 10-week online course that I teach, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, this class just started up Sunday, July 4th, the 4th of July. Uh, it, it meets Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we deal with thousands of years of history and what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We deal with ancient Africa and ancient Egypt, ancient Kemet, uh, Nubia, uh, Ethiopia. Uh, we also deal with uh, Ghana, Songhai, Mali. We deal with great African civilizations. And we deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. So when you go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, uh, scroll down the page, you'll see the information for our radio show. We're here six days a week. And then you'll see information for the online course. Click on register here. It takes you to the next page and uh, just click on enroll. Uh, you can register for the course. It's regularly $130. It's on sale $80. And we do the class live, but all the sessions are recorded. We do the class live, but all the sessions are recorded. So you can go back and watch them over and over again. As soon as you register, you can watch the class that uh, I just did today. All right. 313-778-7600 is uh, the call-in number if uh, you have a question or comment. Okay, so uh, this past week we know that uh, uh, legacy civil rights organizations, leaders from le legacy civil rights organizations, met with uh, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. And they talked about um, the... They they impressed the urgency of the uh, of uh, passing the For the People Act, as well as in removing the filibuster or somehow modifying uh, the filibuster as well in the Senate. So there was an article from um, BlackAmericaWeb.com, okay. And I'm going to pull this up here. This article here from BlackAmericaWeb.com. Uh, Biden Harris meet with civil rights leaders as groups push White House uh, to preserve voting rights ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, uh, movement leaders and congressional Democrats are concerned about the recent attempts to disenfranchise African American voters. We talked about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, when I was on Friday, I'm usually pounding this on each Friday. And this meeting took place on Thursday, um, uh, Thursday, uh, July 8th. 
the Biden administration held a closed door West Wing meeting with leaders from uh, some of the prominent civil rights and social justice organizations on Thursday, July 8th, at the urging of movement leaders and congressional Democrats who are concerned about the recent attempts to disenfranchise African-American voters and marginalized groups, especially in light of the upcoming 2022 midterm elections. On Thursday, uh, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris sat down with leaders from the NAACP, uh, the National Coalition of Black Civic Participation, the National Council of Negro Women, uh, the Leadership Conference for Civil and Human Rights, the Lawyers Committee for uh, Civil Rights Under Law, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the National Urban League and the National Action Network. Okay. Uh, Reverend Al Sharp, the National Action Network. Uh, the group also reportedly discussed the importance of police reform across the country, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which has already passed the House of Representatives. It passed March 3rd, 2021 in the House of Representatives by a vote of 220 to 212. No Republicans voted for the bill. 212 Republicans voted against the bill. It's really 213 because the one who voted, the one Republican who voted for the bill tweeted out that he accidentally voted for it and he was going to correct his vote. So it was really 213 Republicans voted no on the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Uh, Derek Johnson, president of the NAACP, said in our meeting with the Biden administration, we expressed an urgent need for legislation that provides equitable access to the ballot box and offered strategies for mobilizing locally and nationally to ensure uh, democracy works for all. Uh, now, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris was appointed by uh, uh, President Joe Biden to oversee the uh, White House's work on extending and preserving voting rights. OK, uh, she was at Howard University on Thursday and announced uh, a, a distribution of uh, twenty five million dollars uh, to help in this effort also. OK, uh, we're going to go to the, uh, that clip from Roland Martin and filtered in just a second here, um, uh, Jalen. Okay, now, uh, she was at Howard University, her alma mater, on Thursday, and she unveiled a $25 million expansion of the Democratic, uh, uh, the, the DNC's Democratic National Committee's I Will Vote initiative, which, which addresses voter suppression, uh, voter, voter suppression. She said, uh, this campaign is grounded in the firm belief. She said, this campaign is grounded in the firm belief, um, that everyone's vote matters, that your vote matters. Uh, we want to help to make sure your vote is counted. And that is because our democracy is strongest when everyone participates. Now, uh, read, the, read the rest of this article here from blackamericaweb.com. We'll post a link here on the thread of the broadcast. Um, on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday, uh, uh, Friday, uh, July 9th, uh, Roland spoke with two people who were actually in the meeting, Janetta B. Cole of uh, the uh, National Council of Negro Women, and that, she's national chair of the National Council of Negro Women, and also Melanie Campbell, president and CEO of the National Coalition of Black Civic Participation. All right. Uh, now, also White House uh, reporter April Ryan says that President Joe Biden talked about getting closer to ending the filibuster and his increased confidence that the voting rights bill will pass. Uh, I want to go to an excerpt of this interview 
that Roland did with uh, Janetta B. Cole and uh, Melanie Campbell. Then he goes uh, to his panel for response. And I'm on the panel and you definitely want to hear what I said. Uh, let's go to this clip, Jalen. And impact others. Every time they're trying to do something to hurt us, we know historically it will hurt them. But unfortunately, it will hurt us more. But the issue here, uh, Dr. Cole, is simple. Um, there are two senators who've made it clear that they are not going to end the filibuster. And so the question is, this pressure, is it going to be targeting Cinema and Joe Manchin? Christian Cinema of Arizona to maximum West Virginia. I mean, the arguments that Melanie laid out, we have made, we have heard, numerous people have said it. The reality is this here. There are two Democratic senators who are refusing to end the filibuster. That's why the For the People Act, the Voting Rights Act, has not been passed. All of that is hoopla about Joe Manchin having a Voting Rights Act compromise. That died when they couldn't break the filibuster. He keeps hollering bipartisanship. She keeps saying bipartisanship. They can't find 10 Republicans. So, all right, what what now? You're so right. Let's just use simple arithmetic. We don't even have to call it mathematics. We need every Democrat. I mean every to stand up and speak out and vote in the interest of the people. We know that historically, this filibuster has been used to stop issues being passed, acts being passed that are in the interest of the people. And so I'm not going to sit here, Brother Professor Rosen, and act as if this is just a little challenge. You know, we can we can do the arithmetic and, and we can convince some more some more Democrats, and maybe even a few Republicans. This is a serious challenge. And one of the things that I like so much about our time yesterday with the president and the vice president of our country is that they had a spirit of realism, not optimism. Because when you do the simple math, it's hard to call it optimism. But realism says that there are still ways that we can get legislative action. Because if we can't, then we have to ask what happened to our democracy. My only final comment. Um, I would say, Roland, one of the things that we uh, continue to seek out uh, uh, about is uh, reform, reforming the filibuster. That that we, we put that out there, and we were, that's part of the message too. I mean, and we, it, it's not about. Uh, I, I don't know that we can convince ten Republicans. I, I you know, just say we need to meet the answer is no. Okay, I mean, I'm sorry. The answer is no. That's fine. But I can tell you this, brother. You know it. We're not going to sit on the sidelines. We got to keep pushing and fighting. I'm, it's like that's the bottom line. But but but, 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 but on the fight. Did, but on the fight, did y'all did y'all press President Biden to put more pressure on cinema and mansion? Okay, of course we did, Roland. Anybody that needs to be put pressure on, whether it's Democrat or Republican, it's, we, we we get that, right? So 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 as I stated in the beginning, 
We put we put it out there. We we we, talk, we told him they need to use the bully pulpit. He is the head of the Democratic Party. So those two people are Democrats. So put the pressure on your friends and your foes. But also, we, I don't think we can just do it through the normal process of just sausage making, which is why it's important that we all do what we can to push and get the people. Uh, we need a movement about this. We need a real movement that 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 will take place in this country because at the end of the day, whatever we do, we won't get anything. We can get something short term if we're able to get some legis- other kind of legislation passed. But if we don't have the ability in 2022 to pick the candidates of choice, we are in trouble for a decade and longer because some of us have lived long enough to know that. Right, so we know it's a it's a it's a uphill battle, and that's why it's like we need all hands on deck, and we got to support each other, and we got to raise the hell that needs to be raised uh, with our friends and our foes. Representative B. Cole, on the Campbell, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Roland. All right, y'all take care. Uh, Michael, I'll start with you. Here's the deal. <laughs> I, I need to see. I need to see Biden putting pressure on cinema and mansion. He's not. He's not. When he spoke in Tulsa, he said two senators. He wouldn't even name them. We knew he was talking about, but he wouldn't name them. And so here's the dilemma that here's the dilemma that these legacy civil rights organizations are gonna have. And Cliff and Latasha Black Voice Matter have talked about it. You're gonna come back to black folks and ask for more? What argument, what argument, what argument can be made that you got control of the House, you got control of the Senate, you control the White House, and you still can't get a, can't get a voting bill passed? Uh, Roland, um, I'm going to try to be as respectful as I can. Um, I, I, I saw press conferences yesterday. I saw interviews with people that were in the meeting and I thought, I know I'm 50 and I think my hearing is going out. So I thought I ain't hear what I heard, but, uh, I got earbuds on right now. Listen to the, listen to them. So I, I, I respect the sister. Uh, I, I think we need less love vote more. I'm a star slave vote. Uh, first of all, I ain't hear anything about putting pressure on corporations that help finance cinema and, and mansion as well as the GOP. Okay, dude, this is, as, as I said, like, weeks ago, dude, we have to have an all-out 50-state economic guerrilla warfare uh, 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 push on this, man. This is serious. These people, the GOP, they're not playing. They're trying to take us not back to 1865. They're trying to take us back to 1890, the Mississippi State Constitution that instituted poll taxes and literacy tests that Janetta B. Cole was talking about. That goes back to Mississippi and other southern states started following FEC.gov, brother, ProPublica, back in, I think, 2016, 2018, when Cindy Hyde-Smith was uh, running for uh, the Senate seat in Mississippi, ProPublica put out the information from the FEC.gov that talked about the uh, uh, Republicans who were being funded by corporations. Dude, that's public knowledge. Federal Elections Commission. We We have to expose stuff like that. Well, also on cinema and, and Joe Manchin. Who are the corporations who are financing them? Notice how before today, now we know Toyota came out today and said they're not going to give any more money to, uh, Republicans who. No, 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 no. They announced, they, they had stopped yeah. funding those 
uh, who would not certify the election. Then they quietly begin to give money back. It wasn't until the Lincoln Project and other groups publicly outed them where they were like, okay, yeah, we're not going to give you any money. But all of those companies who were right. are making all of those cute public press, dropping press releases at the January 6th quietly have gone back to giving money. Exactly. No, but I'm talking about the news that came out today about Toyota. Okay, that's what that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. D- dude, um, we're speaking the wrong language to, to these people. It ain't nothing. That, um, one of the things that uh, uh, Reverend William Barber is doing, and see, we got to expand this beyond just African-Americans. This is yep. people who don't vote for Democrats. This is young white people, yep. white college students. This is Latinos. This ain't just a black thing. Dude, these. These people are, look, now, we need a Bumpy Johnson of politics to take these people's heads off, politically, not figuratively, not literally, politically. Man, we're not doing anything that's going to scare them. This is, this is what I'm saying. That's so all. the other thing is we have to educate the masses. I was, I was speaking in Atlanta for the Juneteenth Festival. I did two presentations. I'm speaking to, uh, I, I talked to 50 people asking questions. How many votes does it take to get a bill passed in the House of Representatives? Everybody wants reparations, but nine out of ten people can't tell you how to realistically get reparations. Okay? So we have to, under, uh, and, and lastly, I, I'll wrap up with this, brother, because uh, this ain't my show, this is yours. Um, June, ni- uh, June 1941. Executive Order 8802, President Franklin Roosevelt, with desegregated military jobs in the Department of Defense. He didn't do that out of the kindness of his own heart. He did, he did that because Franklin, because, um, A. Philip Randolph, president of the Brotherhood of Sleeper Car Porters, put his foot up his ass and threatened to put a hundred thousand African Americans marching on Washington to embarrass Roosevelt after we voted for Roosevelt. See, that's, see, that's pressure. This, ain't, this stuff here, man, they ain't scared of none of this stuff. The other thing is one of the reasons why I think they're not talking about corporations. Unfortunately, you know, I understand, you know, they get donations from corporations. But the hell with that, man. Look, we need more. We need less love, but more. I'm going to stop. The thing here, uh, the thing here. Uh, 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 pause it right there, Jalen. Um, <laughs> we, need, we, we need less love, vote and more Amistad slave revolt. Okay? Because not only do you have the pressure. Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kristen Sinema, two Democrats. Not only do you have to pressure them, you got to expose who's financing Republicans and vote them out of office as well. All right. Now, when you when you go back and look at Executive Order 8802 and um, uh, A. Philip Randolph, okay, and him threatening to put 100,000 African-Americans marching on Washington to embarrass uh, President Roosevelt, there was a demand backed up by a threat. There was a demand back up, backed up by a threat. What's the threat backing up the demand here? Okay, we'll talk about this on the other side of the break. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, 
printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that will satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. 910, the Super Station. The oldest radio station in town since 1922. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 on the Super Station, the future radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, July 11th, 2021. And we are live. Uh, I want to remind you, you can still register for the 10-week online course that I teach, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't, de what they didn't teach you in school. We have a new uh, class that started up, um, started up on Sunday, July 4th, Sunday, July 4th, the 4th of July. And as soon as you register, you can start watching the uh, course content. You can watch uh, the first two classes because I just uh, taught class number two today. And we do the classes live. It takes place Sunday, uh, Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And even though the class is live, we all the sessions are recorded. So you can go back and watch them over and over again uh, as well. OK, so visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And uh, when you scroll down the home page, we have the uh, information there. We'll post a link here uh, also so you can register for it. You can use this information with your children as well. I would say the course content is uh, PG-13, okay? I would say it's PG-13. I don't do a lot of cursing and uh, yelling and screaming and uh, it's not vulgar or things like that. Uh, I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. Uh, guest speakers in the class as well. Dr. David M. Hotel, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence, spoke to my class uh, on June 12th. The Saturday class is wrapping up. Also, we had uh, an African-American female archaeologist, Nubia Wardford, who goes to the Sudan and does archaeological digs. She spoke to my class as well. She's from Detroit. We've had her here on the show a number of times. But uh, right on our homepage, uh, click on register here. It takes you to the next page and click on enroll. Uh, and as soon as you uh, enroll, you can start watching uh, the course content. You can start watching uh, um, the, today's class and last uh, Sunday also. And then you'll be registered. You'll be ready for um, class this coming Sunday. Also, a there's going to be a new 10 week online course that I'm launching. It's going to be the first time I've taught this. So those that have taken uh Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, you definitely want to take this new course. It's going to deal with history from 1865 to 1965, that 100-year period of time, especially here in the U.S. 
African-American history from 1865, the end of the Civil War, uh, the ratification of the 13th Amendment, June, uh, June 10th, June 19th, 1865, through Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877, through Jim Crow era, Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, U.S. Supreme Court case, 1898, U.S. Supreme Court case, Williams versus Mississippi, which uh, the U.S. Supreme Court upholds the poll taxes and literacy tests that were uh, uh, put into the Mississippi State Constitution in 1898. Uh, takes us through World War One, World War Two, uh, the Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement. So we're going to go to 1865 through uh, 1965, really up until about 1970. So each class is going to be a 10 week online course. Each class will focus on approximately a 10 year span of time. Okay. To really understand this. And then we can see how uh, politics shapes all of this. We, we, we can see um, how these historical events are related and it brings us right up to today. So you, you'll hear more about that. Uh, we'll probably have that uh, on our website, africanhistorynetwork.com in about a day or so where you can register for that 10 week online course as well. All right. So right before the break, uh, we were talking about the, uh, meeting that the legacy civil rights organizations had with uh, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. That took place on Thursday, uh, July 8th. Read the article from blackamericaweb.com. There were other articles uh, written as well. Read this article here from blackamericaweb.com. Biden-Harris meet with civil rights leaders as groups push White House to preserve voting rights. Okay. Uh, also, I it, it, while that clip was playing, and visit um, Roland Martin's YouTube channel, Roland Martin on YouTube and also Roland Martin on Facebook, because you can watch that. That was just an excerpt of that uh, interview that he did with Janetta B. Cole and Melanie Campbell. Watch the entire watch the entire interview. I was showing this other article here from uh, ProPublica, ProPublica.org, and this one is called how to follow the money in an election, how to follow the money in an election. You don't have to be a journalist or investigator to see who was funding who when it comes to U.S. politics, especially during an election. Here are some ways to see what's at play in the national and local races, local races that matter to you. This is from October 30th, 2020. We have to engage in all out economic guerrilla warfare. Okay, you have 389 bills in uh, 48 state legislatures pushed by Republicans. They have a coordinated effort to suppress not just the African-American vote, but the vote of white college students, uh, many elderly white people who vote for Democrats, Latinos, Asian-Americans, Native Americans. Okay, Uh, so read this one here. Campaign finance laws make it so that you can look up where your candidate's money comes from. This is at FEC.gov, which is the Federal Elections Commission. When, when you listen to that entire interview that Roland did with Janetta B. Cole and Melanie Campbell, I love the sisters. They did not talk about putting economic pressure on corporations. They didn't talk about economic withdrawal strategies, none of that stuff. This stuff they're talking about, they ain't gonna scare nobody. I'm just, tell, I'm just being honest with you. And during when I was on Roland's show, I just wanted to cuss so much Okay, I just had it took all of my strength not to cuss uh, on his show. Okay, but campaign finance laws make it so that you can look up where your candidate's money comes from, how they're spending it, as well as what groups are spending on their behalf. A ProPublica tool called FEC Itemizer 
lets you let lets you browse electronic campaign finance filings, allowing you to follow the money for yourself. So ProPublica was the one that put out the article back when uh, Cindy Highsmith things back in two thousand. 18 2018 Cindy Hyde-Smith the public hanging woman from Mississippi was running for uh the Mississippi uh Senate seat okay US Senate seat and it came out uh it was published that uh corporations that financed her okay they were donate money to her then the corporations when they got exposed cuz all this is public information this ain't secret it's the F federal elections commission is the federal government okay Anybody can go. I've been to the website and you can you can look up any anybody running for a seat in the House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate or president. And you can see it shows you who donated to them and the corporations that donated to them, how much they know donated all this stuff. We should be putting all our economic pressure on corporations that finance. Uh, Kristen Sinema of Arizona, Joe Manchin of Virginia, but also Republicans as well. Especially Republicans that were involved in the uh, inside the, the the January 6th insurrection. See, it's like, see, there's a difference between activity and productivity. There's a difference between activity and productivity. There's a difference between swinging, hitting the, hitting the air and swinging, actually trying to hit somebody, knock somebody the hell out. There's a difference. A lot of times we confuse activity with productivity. All right. Uh, so check out this. Check this out from uh, ProPublica how to follow the money in an election and then also visit fec.gov. Okay. We'll, uh, so um, we'll probably talk about this some more uh, this week. I, I want to get to uh, these other stories, but first we're going to go uh, quickly to the phone lines. We're going to talk about the spelling bee in just a minute. And the first national spelling bee was won by an African-American girl. We're going to talk about that history as well. Uh, let's go quickly to the phone lines. Let's go to, uh, line one, we had James in Virginia. James, welcome to the African History Network show. Thanks for calling. Uh, thanks for holding. Go ahead with your question or comment. We lost James. Okay, lost James. Okay, call back. All right. Um, so this past this past week, we had all this take place in the same week: assassination of uh, President Jovenel Mo Moise in Haiti, and then also we had um, Zaila uh, Avant Garde. Uh, this 14-year-old phenom who is not just brilliant when it comes to spelling and brilliant when it comes to doing complicated math, but she holds three Guinness Book of World Records uh, for juggling multiple balls at the same time. OK, she's she's a brilliant, brilliant sister. Uh, I watched a number of interviews with her uh, as well. But this uh, this past week, we see Haiti in the news and then also we see uh, Louisiana because she's from Louisiana and uh, Zaili is from Louisiana. And we know that Louisiana was French territory, but Louisiana becomes uh, territory of the U.S. in 1803 because of the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. And the Louisiana Purchase of 1803 happens because France has to raise money France and Napoleon Bonaparte have to raise money because they're getting the hell beat out of them. And rightfully so by the Haitians during the Haitian revolution. So because of the Haitian revolution and what those Africans did in Haiti, beating the hell out the French, 
this allows the U.S. to acquire uh, 828,000 square miles of land for less than three cents an acre in the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. I want to go to this clip here from NBC Nightly News from July 9th, 2021. 14-year-old makes history as first African-American spelling bee champion. Let's go to this clip. This is what 14-year-old Zayla Avant-Garde is famous for this week. We say this week because you're surely going to hear from her again. Zayla just became the first-ever African-American champion of the Scripps National Spelling Bee. The winning word, Maria. But this work is like the English name Murray, which could be the name of a comedian. Bill Murray made the spelling bee. <laughs> it's actually a type of tree. M-U-R-R-A-Y-A. Perhaps fittingly, her next step may be on the hardwood. You see, Zayla says for her, spelling is just an hors d'oeuvre. Basketball's her main dish, with three Guinness World Records to her name. From dribbling to juggling. So what do you even call that? And it's good to have goals. Zayla sharing those this morning on Today. We are going to Harvard to play basketball and then maybe going to WNBA or overseas or something. It's like, like going to my next thing of like working at NASA or something like that. Why being a basketball coach? About that last name, her dad changed it to avant-garde in honor of jazz musician John Coltrane, his daughter now on the fast train to S-U-C-C-E-S-S. Okay, that was from uh, NBC Nightly News. Uh, this videos of her on her Instagram page. She has 12,000 followers. Well, before she won, she had 12,000 followers on the Instagram page. She probably has a million followers now. Um, there was a good article from uh, blackamericaweb.com on uh, Zaelia as well. African-American spelling bee champ makes history with flair. Um, they talk about how Zaila Zaila knew she would be the first African-American winner of the uh, Scripps National Spelling Bee. She knew African-American kids around the country were watching Thursday night's ESPN2 telecast, waiting to be inspired and hoping to follow in the footsteps of someone who looked like them. She even thought of Magnolia Cox, C-O-X, Magnolia Cox, who in 1936 became the first African-American finalist at the Scripps Spelling Bee and was not allowed to stay in the same hotel as the rest of the spellers because of segregation. Uh, uh, we're going to go to this uh, interview that she did with uh, ABC News. And in this uh, interview with ABC News, she also references uh, Magnolia Cox. Let's go to uh, let's go to the interview from ABC. Welcome back. Can you spell winner? Because our next guest certainly can. It's time for Feel Good Friday. And today it's all about the new script spelling bee champ, Daila Avant-Garde. Daila is just 14 years old, but she's already a Guinness World Record holder, a basketball champ, and as of last night, She's the first African-American to win the Scripps National Spelling Bee since the competition started in 1925. Take a look. Maria. M-U-R-R-A-Y-A. -R -R that is correct. <laughs> 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 and
And Zayla's here with us now to tell us all about that historic moment. Zayla, thanks so much for being here and a huge congratulations to you. Uh, thank you. Uh, so what went through your head when you heard them give you the word Maria? Did you, were you nervous or did you know that you had it at that point? Uh, the first thing that went through my head is basically like this, a song from the Lost in Translation track, uh, Too Young, uh, which is like why I asked my question about like Bill Murray and stuff because like, uh, I've always associated that word with Bill Murray's name. Uh, so it's, uh, so Too Young is like a song from that soundtrack of Lost in Translation. So that's when the song that started going through my head when I got that word. That's a really interesting technique that you use. So when when you started hearing the song and picturing the word, did you know, did you know like okay, I I've, I've got this now? Oh yeah, the second I heard it, I knew I knew it. That's how I am at work usually. I uh, I get the word and I I know it immediately. So talk me through this prep, because it sounds like you have a pretty specific strategy for how to remember all of these words and how to spell them all. So what does an average day look like going into this? How do you prepare? Uh, the main reason that I can like um, I can like remember all these words is because basically even though I do thirteen thousand words a day, like I can't remember. I don't remember all those words. So what I do is like I kind of think of it as like a mental filing cabinet under term roots, and so roots are like these the parts of a word that when put together make a whole word like say tubefoot. And it has to tube, I mean tube, and it, and so I know that root, and that's how I immediately put it together, and uh, that's kind of it's like a building block, kind of, and that's like a, a this part of how I do this, and like when I study, I just like I said, do thirteen thousand words a day, which takes about seven hours, and then I have tutoring lessons with my uh, tutor, Cole Schaefer Ray was our runner-up in, I believe, 2015. And uh, Sneha Ganesh was also a runner-up in a different year, uh, and her mother, Vijaya. So how did you get into this? What attracted you to spelling? Was this something that you were just good at initially and decided to explore, or was there something else about it? Uh, I've always been kind of good with words and stuff. Like I've read like a thousand books, uh, like over a thousand books I'm sure at this point. And because I'm like I'm really into reading books and stuff, uh, just words in general. So the spelling was kind of like an outcropping or like an outgrowth of like my love of words. Uh, you also, you made history last night as the first winner from Louisiana and the first African-American winner since the competition started in 1925. What does that mean to you? Uh, that means a lot. To be the first African-American uh, winner is like a really big thing to me because I'm uh, definitely hoping. I've always been a bit surprised uh, that there were no winners, even though there was someone uh, back in the 30s, I believe. Who her name was Magnolia Cox, and she got fifth place in the spelling bee. Uh, it's through segregation now. Her mother couldn't even come to the hotels and stuff. But uh, when I came, uh, my parents could come to the hotels and stuff. So I definitely, I'm hoping a lot of people see me and maybe uh, think about going into uh, spelling and general, just education in general. Now, this isn't the first time you've made history. You currently hold three Guinness World Records for basketball, including 
the world record for most basketballs simultaneously dribbled. I want to call up that video again because it's really incredible. Hey, pause it, pause it right there. Uh, pause it right there, uh, Jalen. Okay. Um, so that was from uh, ABC News. We're going to post a uh, clip here. That's from uh, July. That was from Friday on ABC News, Friday, uh, July 9th. And this is a brilliant sister. Um, she got the name avant-garde, the last name from her father. Uh, now, her father was watching. They talk about this in the piece from um, blackamericaweb.com. Uh, her father, first of all, she has only been competing uh, in spelling bees since she was 12 years old. She's 14. Okay. Usually uh, they'll start uh, much younger, five, six years old, things like this. But she started at 12 and she's national champion at 14. But uh, many, a top, many of uh, top script spelling bee spellers start competing as young as kindergarten. Zaila only started a few years ago after her father, uh, Jarara Spacetime, watched the spelling bee on TV and realized his daughter realized his daughter's affinity for doing complicated math in her head. He realized his daughter's affinity for doing complicated math in her head could translate well to spelling. She progressed quickly enough to make it to the nationals in 2019, but bowed out in the preliminary rounds. That's when she started to take it more seriously and began working with a private coach named Cole, Cole, C-O-L-E, Schaefer Ray, who is a 20-year-old Yale University student and the 2015 Scripps Spelling Bee runner-up. Okay, so she practices, she trains seven hours a day, but then she also uh, is a fantastic basketball player. She wants to play in the uh, WNBA. Uh, she also wants to uh, go to Harvard University. Now, hopefully she'll go to Howard instead of Harvard. Hopefully she'll go to HBCU. Um, she wants to coach in the NBA and also uh, work for NASA. Okay. Uh, Zaila, uh, now her dad gave her the last name avant-garde in tribute to jazz musician John Coltrane. She is a singular champion of a most unusual spelling bee. Now, this was the first uh, script spelling bee in more than 25 months because in 2020 it was canceled because of uh, COVID-19. Uh, she, uh, she'll take home $50,000 in cash and prizes. Uh, so this is a fantastic story. But as I said, we talked about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered. And maybe on tomorrow's show we'll play the segment where we talked about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered. I said this th this type of genius that she has, all of our children have it. They just need the right teachers, the right love and affection from parents, et cetera, to bring this out of them, the right support. She she got support from her parents, rightfully so. So a lot of this credit, we also have to give it to her parents as well, her mother and her father also. Uh, she is a basketball prodigy who has appeared in a commercial with Stephen Curry uh, and owns three Guinness World Records for dribbling multiple balls simultaneously. She's from Harvey, Louisiana. And Louisiana is connected to the Haitian Revolution. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Um, Okay. 
There was also a good article here from uh, NOLA.com, NOLA.com, Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana teen is more than a spelling bee finalist. She's a three-time world record holder. So I want to go to uh, this article here from Washington Post. We're going to go to that clip from MSNBC dealing with the spelling bee, uh, Jalen. Spelling bee champ Zaelia Avant-Garde, Zaila Avant-Garde, was inspired by a black girl named Magnolia Cox. This is why. Now, she mentioned Magnolia Cox there in an interview with ABC News. Uh, and Magnolia Cox is mentioned in the article from BlackAmericaWeb.com. OK. Um, about 3000 people uh, jammed into Union Station in Akron, Ohio, on the evening of Sunday, May 24th, 1936. A military band played. A young man led some of the crowd in cheers. Others burst into song. They were all awaiting the arrival of an unlikely hero, a tall and slender 13-year-old black girl named Magnolia Cox. The shy eighth grader was Akron's spelling bee champion. A month earlier, Magnolia, M-A-C-N-O-L-I-A-C-O-X, a month earlier, Magnolia Cox had stood on the stage at the city's armory with 50 other children. The top uh, the top scores on a written spelling test. After 24 rounds, there were two spellers remaining. After 37 rounds, there were still two spellers remaining. Finally, Magnolia Cox emerged victorious with the proper spelling of sciatica, S-C-I-A-T-I-C-A, and voluble, V-O-L-U-B-L-E. Uh, Magnolia Cox became one of the first two African-American children to qualify for the uh, Scripps National Spelling Bee, uh, held annually in the nation's capital. The other was 15-year-old Elizabeth Kinney of New Jersey, who was also bound for Washington, D.C. Uh, OK, so this talks about the, the history of uh, Magnolia Cox. Now. There was before um, uh, Zaila became the first African-American to win the script spelling bee. Before her, there was another spelling bee, another national spelling bee. So so scripts is not the first national spelling bee. OK, the first national spelling bee. Uh, was held by the. Uh, National Education Association, National Education Association. In 1908, the National Education Association Spelling Bee was won by an African-American girl named Marie C. Bowden. Marie C. Bowden. Marie C. Bowden became the first African-American to win a national spelling bee. I want to go to this clip here from um, the week on uh, MSNBC with um, uh, uh, the week on MSNBC and they talk about the, they talk about the uh, what impact did a spelling bee have on you, but they talk about uh, Maurice Bowden and the controversy. This, this win by this African-American girl from Cleveland created racial controversy and it created national headlines. Let's go to this clip. myself included. Never got past the districts, though. 
Nowhere near as far as a young lady from Louisiana who took the title this year. N-U-R-R-A-Y-S. That is correct. <laughs> On Thursday, Zaila Avant-Garde won the Scripps National Spelling Bee. Miss Avant-Garde fought through words like elevenses, queromonious, solid ungulates, and her winning word, Morea. Her prize, $50,000 in cash. Spelling bees fascinate me. These quirky competitions with all the stress of the Super Bowl. Competitive spelling has been around in this country since the 1800s, back before all children were taught to read and write. And these contests were not always as beloved as they are now. The New York Times had a rather cynical view back in 1875. It was also a bit chauvinistic in devaluing spelling contests. Apparently, the writer of this editorial thought these contests would benefit young women less than just being a good homemaker. Then again, the Times had some strange ideas of entertainment, at least based on what it advertised in that day's paper. Anyone up for some minstrelsy and Negro comicalities? Anyone? Spelling bees did catch on, though, including by that name, Spelling Bee. Some of the earlier names were kind of violent. How would you like to enroll your kids in the trials in spelling? Or how about spelling combat? Don't that sound wholesome? Or my favorite, a spell down. Spell down. So the event itself is interesting enough, but that brings us back to this year's winner. Zaila Avant-Garde is the first African-American to win the Scripps National Spelling Bee. It's not the kind of accolade black kids get very often. Fifteen years ago, black spellers got a bit of the spotlight thanks to the Disney movie Aquila and the Bee. Kiki Palmer played a prodigy from South L.A. who makes it to the national championships. Ms. Palmer congratulated her real-life counterpart this week on Instagram, writing, quote, The real-life Aquila, you guys! I'm so happy in my heart, unquote. It was a happy moment for many people, the kind of winner we do not often see at spelling bees. But is it so rare to see black students excel at this? Here's the thing. Zaila Avant-Garde is the first African-American winner of the Scripps National Spelling Bee. But she is not the first black winner of any National Spelling Bee. The first bee, before Scripps was involved, was sponsored by the National Education Association, the Teachers Union. It took place at the Cleveland Hippodrome in June of 1908. Back then, competitors were on teams from various cities including New Orleans, Boston, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland. But the New Orleans team threatened to drop out when they realized who they would be competing against. One of the girls on the Cleveland team was black. It took some convincing, but organizers were able to keep the New Orleans contestants in the game. And it was a very different game, part written exam, part oral spelling, and the team with the best score would win. In the end, Cleveland won the B, and one of its spellers had a perfect score, the black girl. Her name was Marie Bolden, a 14-year-old. 14, just like Zaila Avant-Garde. The delegates at the convention reportedly erupted in applause when she won. Even the other teams cheered for her. Civil rights leader Booker T. Washington was one of the convention's speakers. After Marie Bolden's victory, he said, quote, we spell out of the same spelling book that you do. And I think you will also admit that we spell a little better, unquote. So the first national spelling bee was won by a black girl named Marie Bolden. 
Perhaps no one reacted as badly as the city of New Orleans did after they placed third. Black community leaders there wanted to hold a spelling bee in Miss Bolden's honor, but the city denied the permit. One newspaper account says the mayor withheld it for fear of sparking a race riot. He even told the police department to prevent the event from happening. But it gets worse. The school board in New Orleans pulled all of its white teachers out of black public schools. It replaced them with black teachers. And it passed a resolution censuring the superintendent, Warren Easton, for the whole fiasco. People blamed him for letting white students compete against a black child. Think about that. This is not just about racism. It's about entitlement. The New Orleans city leaders felt so entitled, so above any Negro students who might be on another team, that when their squad lost to one, they could not even let black residents celebrate. Who knew they would be so, what's the word? Um, that's it. So querimonious. Thankfully, the state of Louisiana has come a long way since then. Its governor, John Bell Edwards, congratulated Miss Avant-Garde for her victory. And William Tate IV, the president of Louisiana State University, has offered her a full scholarship. When Zaila Avant-Garde leaped for joy, she was not just making history. She was repeating it. The nation's first spelling bee was won by a black girl about her age. And now the Scripps National Spelling Bee has bookended that historical moment. Though it's not really a bookend, is it? More like a new chapter. A chance for every child to see themselves as a potential champion at whatever they want to achieve. I wonder sometimes about the other black kids in school who laughed at me for being smart, for doing things like spelling bees. How different their lives might be if they knew that we not only could do it, but that we won it first. How many doors in life do we not even bother to open, never realizing that they were never locked in the first place? Wherever you choose to go, someone like you probably went first. And if they can go, so can you. All right. That's, that said, oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. What impact did a spelling bee have on you? Tell us your story, whether you competed in one, organized it, or coached a player. All right. Let's Email pause it right there. Okay, email us at the week at uh, msnbc.com. Okay, that's Joshua uh, Johnson for the week on MSNBC. Uh, once again, your thoughts create, once again, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, what, what you allow other people to do to you and get away with it is based upon what you think about yourself. African history gives us our foundation. It gives us our values, our interests, and our principles. This influences our economic empowerment, our political empowerment. And your thoughts create feelings. Your feelings create actions and behaviors. Your actions and behaviors create results. Zaelia, I don't know if she knew about Marie C. Bolden, but she was inspired by Magnolia Cox uh, in 1936, okay, who was a finalist in 1936. Um, read the article here from the Washington Post. Read the one from Cleveland.com also. Uh, that I had up as well from Cleveland.com. Uh, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, uh, keep watching. We're going to uh, keep broadcasting for a couple more minutes. We're out of time here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can also support us, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We'll count it forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow night. Peace. All right, stand by. Okay. All right, everybody. Uh, let me disconnect that call. Okay, so read this article here from Cleveland.com. We'll talk some more about this on um, Monday show because I want to connect all this to the Haitian Revolution 
and the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. Louisiana Purchase of 1803. Because the Louisiana Purchase of, uh, of 1803, uh, this brings, this gives this territory to the U.S. They bought it for $15 million. And Zaelia is from Louisiana. We uh, can see this article here from uh, NOLA.com. Uh, let me bring this back up from NOLA.com, uh, which is a New Orleans uh, publication. Louisiana teen is more than a spelling bee finalist. She's a three-time world record holder. Well, we have to look at the history of how did Louisiana become part of the Union? Okay. How did the U.S. acquire this territory from the French? That's because of the Haitian Revolution. Haitian Revolution ties into the history of President Jovenel Moïse being assassinated. Okay. So Haiti is in the news the same week that uh, Zaelia is in the news. And what connects them is Louisiana, the Haitian Revolution, and the French. All that's connected. And then read the uh, article here from the Washington Post. Uh, spelling bee champ Zaelia Avant-Garde was inspired by a black girl named Magnolia Cox. Okay. And so it's our history and culture that gives us uh, our foundation. It gives us our self-esteem, our self-development, our self-worth. Okay? It teaches us about our heroes, etc. It teaches us about those that we can aspire to become. So she was inspired by Magnolia Cox. A lot of people did not know about uh, Marie C. Bowden. Okay. I didn't know about Marie C. Bowden. Okay. And uh, 1908, Marie C. Bowden wins the first national spelling bee. Okay. She becomes, uh, if we look at this article quickly here from cleveland.com, uh, 17 years before the first ever scripts, National Spelling Bee, 14-year-old Cleveland girl created headlines and racial controversy around the world by winning a Spelling Bee championship. Marie C. Bowden achieved a perfect score in a test of more than 100 words as part of the National Education Association's annual meeting in Cleveland. Okay, that's the teachers union. Uh, Marie C. Bowden. Uh, she helped Cleveland's team win first place against eighth grade teams from all over the country at Cleveland's now defunct Hippodrome Theater. Pittsburgh took uh, second, New Orleans took third, and because uh, Marie Bowden was African-American, the event caused furor in New Orleans, which still lived under Jim Crow racial separation, racial segregation laws. This is 1908. This is the same year as the uh, Springfield, Illinois race riot in 1908, which precipitated the uh, and helped to initiate the founding of the NAACP in 1909. Um, so uh, in 1908, NEA, uh, National Education Association organizers, invited the nation's cities to send eighth grade teams to participate, send eighth grade teams to participate in a spelling bee at his convention, according to a radio interview conducted by um, uh, Warren E. Hicks, who's a former Cleveland assistant school superintendent uh, who ran the event. 
Now, the uh, 34 cities did so, including Boston, Buffalo, Cincinnati, New Orleans, and Pittsburgh. Warren C. Hicks said that when the New Orleans team learned Cleveland's team included Maurice C. Bowden, it threatened to leave the competition. Um, okay. All right. So read the rest of this article here. This is from Cleveland.com. Cleveland's Cleveland girls spelling victory created racial controversy, national headlines in 1908. Okay. Um, she was the first African-American to win a uh, national spelling, uh, uh, national, a national spelling bee. This was before the Scripps spelling bee. All right. Uh, be sure to register for the uh, 10-week online course that I teach, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, we deal with thousands of years of history and what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Uh, I'll post a link here on the thread of the broadcast. Uh, we have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We do the class live. All the sessions are recorded. Uh, you can go back and watch it over and over again, even if you miss class. So the Sunday class meets on at 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Sundays, uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. I just taught a class today. Uh, this class just started up Sunday, July 4th. So as soon as you register, you can watch uh, the uh, class I just did. Click here to register. It takes you to the next page. Click on enroll. And as soon as you uh, enroll, you can start watching the content. Uh, the class is regularly $130. It's on sale $80. Um, also, if you'd like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, and then also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. So we're here six days a week. Uh, this helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. We have the, we have the information right here. Uh, we're on uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, 11 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time, and then Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I have a new online course that I'm putting together. you hear about that this week. It's going to deal with history from, um, we'll look at history from 1865 to 1965, okay? History from 1865 to 1965. And it's going to be 10, uh, 10 weeks in the meet. Uh, one day on the weekend, I think Saturdays, because I'm already doing a Sunday class. I think it's going to meet on Saturdays. And each class will break down this 100-year-plus period of time into 10, uh, approximately 10-year increments, okay? So it's going to be fantastic. All right, remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. Uh, it's not over till we win Wakanda forever, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV, the way it should be. Black music, 
black history, and more. 30-plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today.